Well, good morning again. Welcome to week number four of this series called Breaking the Rules. So a couple of weekends ago, my wife Lindsay and I had a brilliant idea to have a yard sale. Um, and I don't know how brilliant that was. That was a little bit of sarcasm because I wasn't a fan of the whole yard sale process. Um, fortunately, we had family that helped us get some things together that we could sell. Um, here's kind of picture this. My grandparents live in Tacoa. And uh, when I was like a junior in high school, they built this house up there with an unfinished basement. And literally, almost from the time they built the house, the unfinished basement became storage for all of our family. Uh, my dad has three siblings. I've got like uh, 12 or 14 cousins. And all of us have something down there. And for years, my grandmother has been saying, you know, it would be great if you guys would have a yard sale, maybe sell some of this stuff. But... Um, I don't know if it was laziness on all of our parts or if we just are hoarders by nature, but we never have. And so Lindsay and I had this brilliant idea, well, we'll sell some of these possessions. And so we contacted some family members. We got permission to sell some stuff that wasn't ours, and we were excited about it. And so we loaded up a lot of stuff, and we brought it up. We got up at like 5.30 in the morning, and we're putting all this stuff out in the yard um, and uh, we did all right. We had some friends come over and, and help us sell some stuff. We made some money, but uh, kind of the devastating part about the day for me uh, was a realization that things that used to be really important to us, uh, we almost consider junk, okay? Uh, that we have possessions that once were prized, that once we were proud of, that once we put a lot of money into, that have sat in a basement for years and collected dust and we didn't do anything with. Um, I like throwing things away, if I can just confess here. I love throwing things away. I, I get great joy out of it. So when something's not used for like a year, like I want to just chunk it, okay? And sometimes I have to do that without my wife's permissions because she tends to be more like, well, we could use it one day. There could hypothetically be a situation where that could be useful, and in that event, we want to have this, and so we always have some disagreements. Uh, but seeing all of these possessions of ours that, you know, we would look back and say, man, I remember when we used to use that. I remember when that was important to us. I remember how much money I put into that, and now look at us like we're giving away for practically nothing. It was somewhat sobering. Uh, and so for me, like, the low point of this yard sale was when I sold a TV that I bought in 2004. Um, in 2004, I purchased a condo over in Athens, and I was single, and um, what single guy doesn't have a great TV? And so I went and bought a $1,400 TV in 2004. Now, it was a 34-inch. It was a Sony Bravia. It was top of the line in that day, but it was a tube television. This was right before flat screens came out. And so I had this awesome TV that took up a ton of room and weighed like 300 pounds. And I loved it. It was great. People would compliment me on it. But it's been sitting in our basement ever since we got a flat screen. And we sold that TV at that yard sale. Wait for it. 40 bucks. 40 bucks. 10 years ago, I paid $1,400 for a TV that I gave away basically for $40. And I realized in that moment that possessions are fleeting. And the value that we put on things changes. And then as I was preparing for today, it, it really kind of hit me that for a lot of us, God is a possession. 
Um, I think it's normal in our culture. We're in the Bible Belt. There's churches on every street here in town that people know about God. People have heard about God. They may not know God personally. They may not go to church, but you can tell the story of Jesus to most anyone in our community, and they would at least be somewhat familiar with the story of God. And I think for a lot of people, if we're not careful, the normal approach to relationship with God can become a lot like possessions that sit in a basement and collect dust. And it's something that maybe once was treasured and once was used, but can easily slip into a category of a place in life where it's not seen much more than junk or something that we keep around in case it's useful. And typically when there's tragedies that strike our life, we find ourselves coming back to this possession that has lots of value, we think, in those moments. So I want to talk to us today on the topic of becoming God rebels. Um, And let me explain what I mean by that. I don't mean that we rebel against God, and I don't mean that we pretend to be God. But what I mean is that we change from a normal perception of God as a possession that enhances our life to people who submit to a relationship with Jesus Christ, which isn't normal. And so let let me give you... Uh, Two sets of five here. I want to give you five ways that will cause God in your life to become more like a possession that almost can be sold at a yard sale for not much because we don't see much value in God. I'm going to give you five ways that he can become almost irrelevant to us. And then I'm going to give you five ways that will ensure that God will be first and foremost in our lives and we will be... uh, relationally driven with God, and he will not become outdated, irrelevant, obsolete ever in our lives. And so my prayer for us, for me, for you, is that that we would be God rebels, that God would be more than just a possession uh, that's used for a time and then discarded when something new comes along that seems bigger and better to take his place. Okay, so here we go. Let me give you five ways that... God can become irrelevant if you do these five things. These are things you don't want to do. These are things that normal people do. But these are things that we're going to commit not to do because we want to be rebels. Um, number one, blaming God. If you want God to become irrelevant in your life, if you want God to seem like a possession that isn't useful anymore, um, then practice blaming God uh, any chance, any opportunity that you get. Here's the normal view of God in our culture, uh, is that God is a possession that enhances, enriches, makes our life better, and when something happens in our life that doesn't make our life better, we tend to turn and say, you know, God, you didn't make my life better. My life's not perfect, and so therefore you failed me, you fell short. Uh, Things that I believed about you or in you weren't true, and so, uh, you know, I'm blaming you. God, this is your fault. You know, you're to blame for this. My life's worse because of you. Uh, You could have prevented this, which he could have. You could have stopped this, which he could have. But for whatever reason, he didn't. And so we get into this place of blaming God for things in our life. And you know, I really, I'm not positive where this mentality comes from. Because if you read scripture, there's, there's no promise that everything in your life will be perfect if you follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew 16 33, in John 16, 
uh, said that in this world you will have trouble. You will. It's a promise. In this world, you will have trouble. If you follow Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, if God is more to you than just a possession, then you will have trouble. But the good news is that he goes on to say, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so Jesus promises us trouble, but then when trouble comes, we tend to blame him for it. And he warned us that it was coming. He gives us strength to get through it. He helps us to understand that he's overcome anything that seems like an obstacle in our life. And so uh, we tend to find ourselves at places where we don't trust what it says. James goes on to say in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that we are to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance And perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so James, who was a follower of Christ, was a leader in the early church, would say to you and to me that it's the trials, it's the difficult seasons that actually help us mature in our faith. That it's actually worth considering joy because it's such a necessity in making us who God wants us to be and learning to trust him in every situation that we can rejoice in those difficult times when the world and normal people don't. But if you, wanna, if you want God just to be a possession, if you want to look back over the course of your life and say, I remember a time when I was really close to God, when God was really important to me, but he doesn't seem to be now, then, then blaming God will help you head in that direction. Will help you head in that direction. Uh, Number two, the second thing that you can do if you want God to become irrelevant in your life is you can hang around bad influences. Hanging around bad influences will help you be normal when it comes to an approach to God. Because hanging around bad influences uh, always has a negative effect on you when it comes to a relationship with God. In fact, Paul, who was a leader in the early church and wrote uh, half of the New Testament, um, he, he left us this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33, where he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be misled. Do not be deceived. Do not be led to a place where you think something differently. Bad company corrupts good character. And if you find yourself hanging around bad influences, you are guaranteed to feel a negative effect when it comes to your relationship with God. Now, we try to justify this in the church world um, by saying that we want to make a difference in the lives of people who uh, may be bad influences on us. And so we have this ambition. Um, there's There's always students who want to date someone uh, who's, who's not a Christian, who's probably a bad influence, um, and who thinks I can make a difference in their life. And, and so it's, it's kind of a coined term, missional dating, is I'm going to date someone in hopes that they're going to you know, come to know Jesus. And, and the truth is, is with great intentions, you can enter into relationships with people of bad character, but every time, every time their influence will always impact you negatively, more so than you'll impact them positively. Am I saying that you should not be friends with people who may be bad influences? No, 
Am I saying that you cannot have a relationship with people who are bad influences? Am I saying that if you have a mom or dad that's not a follower of Christ, that you should move out of the house? If you have a brother or a sister who is a bad influence, that you should disown them? If you have a classmate or a co-worker that you're around a lot, that you should uh, change jobs or switch schools and avoid them like the plague? No, not at all. I would never tell you that. But what I'm saying is, it's when you make a willful decision to enjoy the company that's bad influence on you. And you willfully get to a place where you enjoy the influence that's being rendered upon you. Then at that point, you have submitted who you are to their influence. And so no longer do you have a relationship that's face-to-face, but you have a relationship where you're following them. And you are allowing their influence to have an impact on your life. And every time, every time, it's going to leave you in a place where you're going to look back over your life and you're going to say, you know, God used to be more important in my life than he is now. And maybe, maybe now you can look back over your life and say, man, since I've been dating so-and-so, maybe you can say, since I've been hanging out with so-and-so, since I've been friends and spending so much time with so-and-so, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. And that's this truth that Paul leaves us with that bad company corrupts good character. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. It's true. It's going to happen. If I were to stand on this stage and and someone of bad influence were to stand there and I would make it my goal to pull them up to this stage in hopes to make their life better and have a positive influence on their life, it will always be easier every time for them to pull me off the stage than for me to pull them on the stage. And it's this truth that Paul leaves us with. If you want to be normal when it comes to a relationship with God, if you want to be normal then you allow yourself to hang around bad influences and allow them to speak into your life and open yourself up to their influence. And you will always be led to a place that's further from God every time. Number three is you give in to temptation. Giving in to temptation is a normal approach to life with God that leads us to a place where God is irrelevant, outdated, obsolete because temptation always has a empty promise that there is something that could fulfill our lives more than God can. Here's what James says in chapter 1 verses 13 through 15. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, his own evil desire, her own evil desire, own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it's a sin to give in to temptation. It's not a sin for a desire in your heart to creep up and you have a thought. But it becomes, a, it becomes a sin when you allow that thought to be put into action and you embrace the empty promise that that thought brings to your life. 
In Genesis chapter number three, we read the story of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. And Eve has a conversation with a serpent in the story who represents Satan, our spiritual enemy. And Satan convinces Eve that the one thing God told her and Adam not to do wouldn't harm her. God put Adam and Eve in a garden. He says, you are to have anything in this garden that you want. You can eat from any tree, but the the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you are not to eat from. That's the only thing that they had to obey. It's the only rule that they had. They enjoyed everything. Everything was perfect, except they were just told, don't eat from that tree. And the enemy came and says to Eve, did God really say not to eat from that? Did Did God really tell you? Do you really think that he'll be mad at you when you eat that. Come on, just take one bite, and you'll see that God's just trying to keep from you something that's good. He's trying to withhold something good from you, and if you'll just take a bite, you'll see what God sees, and you'll become like God. And in that moment, she could have said no, and she could have walked away, and she would have been tempted, but she would not have sinned. But she chose instead to get her husband Adam, and they ate of the fruit of the tree believing an empty promise that it would offer something that would be bigger, better than God. And when we give in to temptations in our everyday life, what we're basically saying is, God, I once prized you, I once loved you, you once were everything for me, but here's something bigger and better that I just want to try out and see. And we're basically taking God and setting him down in the basement and saying, there might come a time where we can use you, but for this moment, we found something bigger and better. And so we've got to realize that Satan is our enemy. John 10.10 10 says that he's come to steal, kill, and to destroy, that he wants to devastate our lives, and he wants to come in between our relationship with God. And if we allow temptations to be embraced, if we give in to temptations, every time, every time, God will become more and more irrelevant the more and more we embrace temptations. Number four, loving the world. Loving the world. Did you know by just simply loving the world, you can become further and further from God? That God in your life will become more and more obsolete the more and more you love the world. Listen to what John says in 1 John 2.15. This is a a pretty firm statement. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And when we come to a place in life where we begin to love the things of the world, we love the things that the world offers us, we love the things that the world, that normal people chase after, and we chase after them, we head down the same path, we love those things, then every time God will become more and more obsolete in our lives and we'll look back over our life and say, I remember a time when God was important to me, when he was more than just a possession in my life, but now I'm just kind of remembering that time because I have fallen in love with the world. Let me give you an indicator to help you, kind of a litmus test to tell you if you love the world. Um, And again, this is... Just something for you to wrestle with in your own heart. It's something that I wrestle with in my heart. Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Um, Matthew also records this statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do, you, what do you spend your money on? Where do you put your treasure? Because where you put your treasure is where your heart's going to follow us. It's the things that you're going to fall in love with. But, but you can also look at what you have put your treasure is, what you've put your treasure in, and you can just say, that's an indicator to me of the things that I love. And so you can look at your checking account. You can look at your statements and you can say, what is it that I love in life? Like if you're not generous, if, if everything you spend is just on you, if it's all about possessions, if you're spending more than you even make on things, then it's an indicator. It just lets you know, hey, I'm falling more in love with this world than I should. And we can always, we can always take a step back and say, I need to adjust some things in my life because I've allowed myself to fall in love with the world and and my money just indicates where I've fallen in love. Do you, I mean, do you love the world? Does, is, is the world something that you live for? You know, it's a broken world. You know that we live in an evil, broken world. But when we begin to love things of the world, it causes us to drift further away from God. And so if you want to be a normal Christian, if you want to look back over your life and find God down in the corner of the basement, with dust because you think he's just a possession, then you just, you love the world. And that'll lead you to that place. Lastly, number five is, is what I'll say, faking it. Faking it. Um, in, in the business world, there's a term that you should fake it till you make it. So if you've started a new business and you want people to think that you've got your act together, you want people to come and buy your product, your service, then you just act like you've got everything together and then one day people will believe that you have everything together and they'll begin to spend money on what you have to offer and you'll find yourself in a place where what you faked actually helped you make it and so therefore you're at a place now because you faked it that led you where you wanted to be. Um, But that doesn't work with God. It doesn't work with God and I'm afraid that normal Christians uh, far too often fake it when it comes to a relationship with God, is that they want to have a perception, is they want to have an image of being close to God, and they go through motions, but there's not a lot of authenticity authenticity when it comes to that relationship. Let me read to you what um, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not enough just to say something. It's not enough just to promote an image, but you've got to live a life. You've got to be genuine. You've got to be authentic. You've got to be who you say you are. You can't fake it and be close to God. It just doesn't work. And the longer that you fake things, the longer that you convince yourself and others that you've got everything together when it comes to a relationship with God. The further and further you're going to be from God, and one day you're going to look back in the basement, and you're going to say, oh, man, I remember a time when things were really special between me and God. That was awesome, but that was so, so long ago, and that is not as valuable to me today as it is. And I think those five things are five things that normal Christians do, that normal people who perceive God as just a possession to enhance their life. That's a normal, normal practice in their life. But here's what I want to ask us to do. Is I want us to be God rebels, meaning that God's not just a possession of ours. But he's someone we have a relationship with. 
He's someone that we fall in love with. He's someone that we submit to, someone that we give our lives with. And there's five ways that I think we can do that. I'm going to go through these really quickly with you. This is how to prevent God from becoming obsolete in your life. Number one, you're going to know all these things, is you read your Bible. Just read your Bible. Normal Christians don't read their Bible. They think they can hear a message on Sunday and that's enough for them. They don't spend quality time reading the Bible. They don't. And so normal Christians don't read their Bible, but if you want to have a deep relationship with God, you have to read your Bible. You understand that, that God's word is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's his love story for us. It's a collection of writings that help us to see God's plans for our life. Its truth pierces our hearts. It helps us to see who we are in light of who God wants us to be. It renews our minds and it puts us on a firm foundation that can never be shaken. And, and you know, there's, there's honestly no excuse for us not to know God's word these days. With all the resources that are available, with all the technology that's available today, you can have God's word on your phone if you have a smartphone for free. You don't have to spend any money. You can download an app called Version Y-O-U, and you can have at your disposal at any given moment access to the living, breathing word of God the inspired words that God left for us to be followers of him. And on lunch breaks, we can read God's word. In downtime, when we have two or three minutes, we can read some verses of God's word. We can subscribe to reading plans that help us walk through different truths of God's word and have an avenue by which we can do that. We have access to sermons that are preached by the best preachers in the world. At the click of a mouse on computers. We can watch sermons from the greatest preachers ever. You can have God's word in your life as much as you want to. Not everybody in the world can say that. There's still places where people aren't allowed to have God's word. But that's not true for us. And even though it's so accessible and have such potential and power to change our lives, normal Christians, they don't read God's word. But if you want to have a true, authentic relationship with Jesus where he's always relevant in your life and he's always near to you, you just read God's word. Number two, worship God. Worship God. This, this word worship that seems like some churchy thing that we do, um, it's a lifestyle. It's a way that we uh, give worth to God. Um, it should be easy for us when we come to church to worship God, right? Because we intentionally lead you in songs about the hope that we found in Christ, and so we lead you in songs that we would classify as worship songs. And how many times do we find ourselves, though, even in those moments, feeling like it's just a performance, or we're spectators watching a band play on stage? And we find ourselves like judging, oh, are they a good singer? Or I don't really like that drummer or that guitarist, you know, is doing this. And we're so caught up in watching other people do something that we aren't engaged ourselves. I love a story found in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 where King David, 
uh, was in a company that was bringing the ark of the Lord. And uh, he got so excited in the presence of God that he danced before the Lord. Not only did he dance before the Lord, but he did it in his undergarments. It's a true story. Uh, a lot of times I would say, don't try this at home. In this case, I would say this is the only time you should try this is at home. Uh, please don't come to church and claim King David did this, and so I'm going to dance in my undergarments. Uh, but King David did this, um, and, and it was noticed, and he had a conversation with someone who basically said, how dare you stoop to that level and expose yourself and allow yourself to be perceived in that way? And he simply replied, replied, listen, I'll become even more undignified than this because being in the presence of God is so important in my life that I don't care what people think about me. You know, I had a conversation with uh, a man who has attended our church a couple of times. Um, This was a few months back, and um, he's at another church now, and uh, he made a remark to me. He said, you know, at your church, there's some people that raise hands and stuff. Like, y'all do the hand-raising stuff. Um, and at first I was kind of like, like, is he saying that's a bad thing? Because the Bible teaches us that we should like raise our hands. And so I was a little confused. And so I asked him a few more questions and, um, and he just is in a place in life where he would prefer to be just more conservative, more spectator driven, um, that his relationship with God is best expressed internally and not externally. Um, but I just, I kind of, I didn't ask him, but I just wondered, like, when you're watching your favorite ball team, like, do you, do you respond when they score a touchdown in the same way? Like, hmm, that's good. That was a great pass. Or is he like the type of guy that's all like, you know, yeah, like going crazy. So many times, like, we fail to perceive, like, being in the presence of God is a big deal. And especially when we're at church, especially when we're at church, should we not take advantage of an opportunity to worship? I'm not telling you you have to raise hands. I'm not telling you that you have to sing. But I'm just saying worship is an opportunity to respond to God. And shouldn't we at least, when we have an opportunity, especially once a week in church, take advantage of that because it strengthens our relationship to him? But the good news is that it doesn't have to happen just at church. We have access, again, just like God's word, to worship music, to the Psalms in the Bible, which are songs that mainly King David wrote in response to who God is and what he does for us. And we should have times in our own where we spend worshiping God, where we sing to him when no one's listening, when we respond to him in the way we feel led to respond to him in the way of worship. And I can guarantee you that every time you'll worship God, It doesn't matter what situation or circumstance you're in in life. God always becomes bigger because when you're worshiping, you're giving worth to him. That's what worship is. It's saying, God, listen, I know this tragedy. I know this situation, this circumstance. But I'm choosing in spite of it, in the midst of it, to make you big and say that you're my focus. And I trust you. And I believe in you. And you are more powerful to me than anything that will ever happen to me in this world. That's what worship does. And if you'll worship, I promise you, I promise you. God will never become obsolete. He'll never become a dusty possession in a basement because that will always strengthen a relationship with him. Number three, get involved at church. Not normal for Christians, especially in our culture, to get involved. Easy to slip in late, leave early. Maybe you enjoy the music. Maybe you enjoy the message. 
Typically, you'll find a church where you at least can stand it, and you'll slip in, you'll kind of have your moment, and then you'll slip out, and you'll go about your business. But if you want to like strengthen a relationship with God, then just get involved in what God's doing in a local church. Any church. Any church you go to. Get involved in it. And there's opportunities here at Synergy to get involved in various, various ways. But when you get involved, you're basically saying, God, I'm not here just to get something, but I want to be a part of giving something. And every time you do that, every time, even, even if it makes you tired, even if it's not convenient, uh, even if you'd rather be doing something else, it's a reminder to you of the relationship that you have with God. That we serve others because he first served us. And his goal in life wasn't to come and just give us a, a cookie, a sugar-coated life that's awesome and we never do anything with it, but we respond by being part of that in someone else's life. So you get involved. You serve others. You do something. You move from being a consumer to becoming a contributor. And if you'll do that, I can just promise you, like every time, your relationship with God is going to be strengthened because you're basically acknowledging what he's done for you and you're saying, I'm choosing to be part of that and reflect the example that he set for me. Number four, it's by praying. This is such like an intimidating word for a lot of people. I don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't know what words to say. And, you know, people might make fun of me if I pray out loud. And so I don't like to pray out loud. And prayer, in its simplest form, is having a conversation with God. And in the conversation, you speak and you listen. And that's prayer. It says you have committed times where you speak to God and you allow him to speak to you. And it's prayer. That's it. You don't have to be like, in a certain place, it doesn't have to be at a certain time. Uh, the Bible even teaches us that we should pray continually, so we always are in the attitude of prayer. We pray for people, we pray for ourselves, we pray about things in life, we pray prayers of thanksgiving to God, we pray prayers that tell God how awesome he is in our life, and then we listen to him, and he, he talks to us, and he strengthens us. I could guarantee you that if you made a commitment not to speak to your wife, not to speak to your husband for one year, not a word, at the end of that year, your relationship with your spouse is not going to be very good. I can guarantee it. Don't try it. Don't try it. But if you don't communicate with someone you love, then every time that relationship is going to diminish. And the same is true for God. He loves when we talk to him and when we go to him and we just share how we're feeling and we allow him to speak to us. It's going to strengthen our relationship and it's going to be a constant, a constant exchange of love between us and our king. So we pray. We pray. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to like have all the Bible memorized and you don't have to quote long passages of Scripture. You just say in a moment, like, like, God, I need some help right now. Like, my coworker just did something. I'm really, I'm thinking about going and getting the guy out of my car and just dealing with this. Could you just help me? That's prayer. That's prayer. It is. It's prayer. And I think God will help you in that moment. Not go get your gun and shoot him. And you pray, you're like, God, 
you know, I'm having this thought, like, I'm having this temptation. Would you just help me not to do that? I know I shouldn't do that. Help me not to do that. And he will. He will. And you say, God, like, I don't know. I've got a decision to make. I'm not sure what I should do. Like, I don't know if I should accept the job. I don't know if I should put the house on the market. I don't know if I should have the conversation. I don't know if I should send the note. I don't know if I should make the purchase. Would you, would you just, would you speak to me? Would you let me know? And he will. It's not always easy and it's always clear cut, but he will. And then when we pray, it keeps us from allowing God to become obsolete in our life. And lastly, number five, is we share the love of Christ. I can guarantee you that if you're telling other people about what God's done in your life, that it is impossible for God to become some possession down in a basement that you could care less about. Because it's the love with God that inspires you to tell others about him. But it's not normal. It's not. Normal Christians don't tell others about Jesus. Normal Christians say, hey, I can believe something and I don't have to go to hell and that's awesome. Yeah, I'll take that. Sign me up. A normal Christian would say, you know, survey, what religion am I? Hindu, uh, Muslim, Buddhism, Christian. Yeah, Christian. I'm Christian. That's what I am. But they're not telling people about the love of Jesus. They're not sharing Christ with their world. They're not concerned. They're not heartbroken that the people they work alongside don't know Jesus. They don't pray for their neighbor who is far from God, who if something were to happen to them this afternoon would spend eternity separated from God. They don't have a burden for people who don't know Jesus. But if you'll take a step and and just say simple things, like, I'm praying for you, just let me know if I can ever talk with you about anything. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to sit down with you and maybe share some scriptures. Maybe I could be an encouragement. If I could ever do that, just, just let me know. Hey, can I tell you, can I tell you what, what God has done for me? My family's been praying for like six months now for X, and God did it. I just, I just felt like sharing with you, man. God, God did something really cool for me. Do you know what that does for your relationship with God? Man, it strengthens it. It builds you up. It makes you fall more in love with him. It's like, it's like having a girlfriend that you never tell people about. It's like I'm secretly dating somebody, but I don't want nobody to know about it because I'm not proud of who I'm dating, maybe. But we have this God that we're not proud of. It's kind of the same thing. For normal people, God is a possession. And possessions, like every other possession you have, are fleeting. And there will come something bigger and something better. And 10 years after you pay $1,400 for a TV, you're going to sell it for $40 because it's not worth much anymore. And if you allow God to be a simple possession in your life, then you'll go through a season where God is like really important to you. But if that's all he is is a possession that, that enhances your life, then there will come a day where in your mind he's not as important as other things. And you'll find something bigger and better. And you'll look back and say, oh, I remember, I remember when God... 
It was really important. I remember looking through my yearbooks and I remember those possessions and oh, I forgot I had that. Those were the discoveries I made in this yard sale experience. And I don't want God to be that possession for any of us that we look back on and say, I forgot about that. I forgot about God. Oh man, yeah, he was, he was really awesome for a time. Yeah, that was a great season of my life. But then you look back and you're like, I am so far from there right now. I'm so far removed from that. And if you blame God, if you hang around bad influences, if you give in to temptation, if you love the world, and if you fake it, and that'll be your story one day. But if you'll read your Bible, if you'll worship God, if you'll get involved at church, if you'll pray, if you'll share the love of Jesus with other people, then he'll be a friend that's closer than a brother. And you'll always go through life knowing that you have a Savior that's on your side. It's easy to drift. It comes natural. It's normal. It's easy for us to look back on a time when we were closer to God. But let's commit to making sure that God is always close. The truth is, is God never goes anywhere. We do. So let's commit that we will never drift far from God. Can I pray for us? Lord, thank you for who you are and what you've done in our life. Thank you for, thank you for not being just a possession. Thank you that we can know you. That though you created the heavens and the earth and though you spoke everything into existence and though you gave your life on a brutal cross for our sins, and you paid the price for us to, to have a relationship with you. We can know you. You're not just a historical figure. You're not just someone we read about. You're not just a religion. But we can know you, God. I thank you that we can know you. And I pray that we won't be normal when it comes to a relationship with God. But we'll be rebels. And we won't just follow the crowd and we won't just accept average. But we will passionately pursue you with everything that's in us. And we'll be strengthened in our faith and you'll walk with us and you'll speak to us. You'll bless us. You'll strengthen us. You'll, you'll help us through the most difficult times of our lives and you'll help us to rejoice in the biggest events that we'll ever go through. I pray that you'll be a true God in all of our lives, and not just a possession that has an expiration date. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.